What's up, everybody? Welcome back to World on Drugs. I'm your host, Steve Fury. You remember me. This ain't your first rodeo. Uh, this, we've got a great show. we got Kun Sa, who's known as the Opium Warlord. The man controlled the Golden Triangle for almost 50 years, made $5 billion, and you'll be pretty, dis- <laughs> pretty interested to see how he ended up in life, which was pretty good. Um, this week, we got Laura Bites. Uh, you may know her from Lights Out with David Spade. She recently did Joe Rogan last week. What? Got her off Joe Rogan? What am I? The Tonight Show of podcasts? No, probably not. Um, she's one of my best buds. Uh, first time we started first hanging out was uh, probably the day after she got passed at the Comedy Store. So if you're not familiar, people get passed. But there's a lot of people that want to get passed at the Comedy Store. Only six get a year. Uh, Laura came out of nowhere. Um, when she got passed, I'd never heard of her. Most people have never heard of her, and a lot of people were bitter. Um, I just noticed not many people were being nice to her, so I walked up to her and said, "Do you want to be friends? I will never hit on you, and I will be friends." And then we became really great friends toward the toward all of California. One of my best buds. Um, she's got a lot of big stuff coming up. Happy she came on this little pod. Um, this episode is a Ryan Howhausner. Whole Hausner episode. So we got a lot of facts. Love Ryan. Thanks for helping out on this one. What did I do this week, man? I was in Phoenix. That shit is wide open. If you ever want to go, uh, if you ever want to experience what it was like before the pandemic, go to Phoenix. People aren't wearing masks. I did four sold out shows with a guy named Mike Vieira at Phoenix Live. Probably 400 people at each one. Pretty fucking mind blowing, man. Pretty fun, though. It was, uh, you get to remember who you are and why you do this and why it consumes your every waking moment. And so shout out to all the people and fans I made in Phoenix. You guys were truly fucking amazing. Uh, we're going to get to this pod real quick. I just want to give a couple shout outs to some stuff that I enjoy that you guys might enjoy. Uh, There's a guy named Kyle Anderson. He's a comedian in L.A. on YouTube. His stuff's pretty good. He does a bunch of deep dives and stuff. You guys probably should check that out. Other than that, oh, watch the show Snowfall on FX. Shit is fire. If you love drugs, it tells about the CIA, how it infiltrated Compton in the late 70s, early 80s, and how it supplied that whole area with crack cocaine. So if you like this podcast, you'll probably like that. But guess what, guys? It's time. Yes, you guessed it. Another episode of World on Drugs this week with Laura Bites, and we do a deep dive on Kun Sa. All right, everybody, we're here with Laura Bites, one of my best buds. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. We got a good show. Um, this one was done by Ryan Holtower, uh, one of my research guys in uh, Texas. It's about Kun Saw. He is he pretty much did 80% of the heroin from about the 50s to 80s, 80s in the whole world. He was like he the main did guy. 80% he of the produced heroin? It. He Sorry. produced it. Sorry. Got I, it. I, that was I'm like, damn, that guy fucking rocks. knew how to rage. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. He just had a fucking drip. <laughs> it was him and... Uh, he did 50% of the heroin that's ever been done. I'm like, this sounds like it's made up, but I'll yes and this. That's fine. Let's <laughs> sure, talk about let's keep it. Keep going. Um, so we're just going to go into it. I'm just going to start reading it off to you. Kun saw some quick facts in the beginning just so you can know him, who he is. He was nicknamed the Opium King and the Prince of Death because he was considered the world's dominant opium warlord from 1976 to 1995. Um, he operated out of an area called the Golden Triangle, which the CIA named, and that is between Thailand, Laos, and Myanmar. And it was the largest opium-producing area from the 50s to the th- 2000s when Afghanistan took the spot. So I think that's pretty... I think it's very interesting that opium can grow in... 
the jungles and Afghanistan. I didn't know Afghanistan was the top spot. Yeah, they're the one main ones now. That's like their main thing that they do. They uh, it's all their stuff. You can see like the guys they slice the little to get the opium. What you do is it's like a little, weird little bulb, like a like looks like a Christmas tree uh, um, ornament upside down, and then you cut it with a knife, and it secretes the sap, and then you scrape off the sap, and then you process that. Have you done um, what opiates have you done? Opiates. I've done all the pills. I've never done heroin. I've never tried opium. I would have liked to try opium. You and I, our drug use supplements each other well because I have only done Vicodin and codeine, but I'm allergic to that. So that kind of took itself out of my system real fast, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, well, for sure. Like, I definitely get the nose thing. I get really itchy. When I take opiates. So it's like fun when I take it, but then the next day my nose is all sore, my face is all stressed. It's not that fun. Oh, no. I like threw it up right away. Oh, yeah. That'll happen, too. Um, But I've smoked opium. and Was that tight? It was all right. I mean, it was so not that big of a deal that I wonder if it even was opium. Court coaster. Coaster's <laughs> in here. Burning the coaster. Yeah. I mean, well, that's what they say. I mean, opium's supposed to be a little more chill. It's also so funny, like, it, it, how many, like, cultures it took down. Like, it took almost took down the Chinese. They just had opium dens. And before you knew everything was bad, you would just go to this place and smoke opium for, like, four days. Yeah. And then you would slowly wake up, and you'd be, like, six years later, and you lost all your money. Yeah, I was in college, and I was young, and it was on a bowl of weed. Mm-hmm. And so I remember just being very aware of the fact that I had cho- chosen to do a new drug. Mm-hmm. So there was always that little fear there yeah. of, like, this might be bad. This is what they make heroin out of. Yeah, this might be the one that changes <laughs> my life forever. Hope this doesn't turn into anything. Yeah, so it was hard to be chill and also, because of the weed, hyper aware of what yeah. was really a terrible decision. It's a terrible decision to smoke opium. It yeah. Turn, it turned out okay, but I smoked it every time it was offered to me. Yeah, and it's definitely a slippery slope. Like the opi- or opiates one is definitely... Where they're like, don't try this because you might get hooked the first time. Most people don't, but the people that do just straight ruins their life and ruins everybody around them. So it's not really worth it. I do not get addicted, and I quite like it a lot. That sounds great. It's not to get addicted. I've taken two pills of Vicodin in my life, and I 100% consider myself addicted to it. Yeah, those are pretty great. It was so... I was fat and i just like put on a bikini and like had my friends over and was just like no one else was wearing <laughs> swimsuits isn't it great that we're just so body positive and everyone's like what no, i'm wearing like, a hoodie no, we would love for you to put your clothes on nobody understands <laughs> we've discussed being body negative recently since we came in here so maybe we could Maybe hoodies. We'll try on some jackets, some winter coats. Yeah, I like. I had this piece of glass stuck in my hand, and they tried to get it out, and then they couldn't get it out, and then they gave me two pills of Vicodin, and I was like, "Oh, okay. So I'll take one today, and then maybe like one tomorrow." I was like, "I'll spread it out. If I don't need the other one, I won't take it." Watched the clock for those four yeah. hours to pass mm-hmm. to take the other one, and took. I mean, <laughs> took them. Back to back, as, as soon as I could. I love how they only gave you two, too. They're like, so you'll take two, uh, one now, one four hours, and then you'll have a piece of glass in your hand for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I had a piece of glass in my hand for yeah, 11 years after yeah, that. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so his net worth was around $5 billion. So this guy was not fucking around. He is 
pretty shit. insane. Yeah, he was believed by the DAA, DEA that in a single year he would export around six hundred million dollars of heroin. Probably does more because they always they're they're not really good at that kind of stuff. Um, and although his army was considered an enemy enemy of the Burmese and Thai government, he uh, would often play both sides. Kind of like uh, reminds me of me when I was a kid with my divorced parents. <laughs> You know, because like you don't need both of them to like you at the same time. You just need one to like you and to play them against each other. And the yeah, next thing you know, them. yeah, so you'd be like, mom says that you're probably not going to get me that much stuff for Christmas. So she's going to get me really good gifts because she <laughs> says that you're not going to get me anything good, which was like weird of her to say, I yeah. thought. And then you just, just attacking your manhood like that. That's crazy <laughs> that you know she would say those things to you. You can call her. Oh, you don't talk to her anymore. Mm, wow, oh, too bad. shoot. Yeah, you okay, could have verified cool. that. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. We'll see about a new Xbox, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> when he surrendered in 1995 due to the DEA pressure, uh, the DEA wasn't able to get him. Because the thing is, since he's in the Myanmar kind of golden triangle right there, you can't really get in there. Like, it's like straight jungle, like Chinese jungle that you think of. Like, a guy comes in with a mule, maybe like a fucking elephant, and you really got to know your way around there. So they couldn't get him. So what the DEA then is they got all the guys around him, like his distributors and stuff like that, which caused him to pretty much sink down and uh, stopped him. But we're going to go way deeper into that. We don't need How much of a pain in the ass would it be if you had to, like, take a machete to get to your drug dealer's house, slash your way through the woods? And just those jungle bugs. Just jungle bugs, just large things here, and it gets on your fucking. <laughs> and it's like just out of the airport. I was like, "Where are the Mai Tais?" Like, not here, buddy. At one point, he controlled seventy-five percent of Myanmar's overall trade as a whole country. So, like, seventy-five, seventy-five percent of everything. If they made like computers or T-shirts or fucking beans, he controlled seventy-five percent of it because of all the heroin he was exporting. That's why they couldn't really fuck with him because it's like he's their whole. Economy. Yeah. So before his rise, Myanmar only supplied 5% of the world's heroin. During his peak, that number rose to 80%. The CIA considered him responsible for at least 70 so that's like a real thing. And once he left, Myanmar went back down to 5% of the world's heroin. And I feel like that's like when you broke up with an abusive ex, you know? You're like uh, happy that they left, but now you got to pay your own rent. <laughs> and that sucks for them. Um, his combined militias were around 13,000 people to 31,000. So his army grew to the point where it was more powerful than Myanmar, than Thailand, than Laos. So, like, they couldn't really do anything. So, like, he has this because he's paying everybody more money, which is what's going on in Mexico right now, too, that uh, the Mexican government can't really attack the the cartel because the cartel are paying a lot of the guys that when we uh, I did one of the last episodes when Oseal did this. What happens is our our army and military will go down there, train some guys to be elite guys. They'll run their thing. But then the cartel will be like, hey, I'll pay you a hundred times more money than you're getting paid. So then all those guys, which they're called Los Zetas. They leave and then start working for the cartel. And we can protect you from them, and we can super kill you at yeah. will. If I mean, you can't say no. Yeah, it's just yeah. I'll, and if you don't come with us, we'll I kill your whole family. I will pull your toenails yeah. off. Just. It's crazy, man. To show you what's about to happen. <laughs> this is the best part. So enjoy. This is the appetizer. First toenails, then your mom's hair, and then your teeth. So this enjoy is, yourself. Do you want to see the trailer for the experience you're about to have? Yeah. And there's no turning back. You can't undo it. I don't need any information from you. There's no way. I don't need you to do the thing. Mm-mm. I gave you the opportunity to do the thing, and you decided to Not hesitate. To do it. 
And they so cut your fucking feet off. I'm biting off your toenails. <laughs> <laughs> it will be me with these mouth. Then that's mouth. the beginning of your experience of being tortured <laughs> by me. Or a hundred times more than money and you'll be fine. But the important thing is everybody knows that this is what happens. Yeah. And your loved ones are watching because they're every, making them. Yeah. And, and everyone's getting their head in place. <laughs> like in the movies. Because look at hell. them. He just shows them. So this is two. This one's just kind of interesting. He was functionally illiterate, kind of like me today, uh, his entire <laughs> life. And this is what this one. This one I think we're both going to enjoy. And I haven't done this yet. So at his peak, uh, the U.S. put a bounty on his head of two million dollars. Right. To me, that sounds low. Yeah. That sounds really low for the guys producing 80%. So what I did is I then looked through the FBI's top wanted people, and we're going to go through them real quick and see what they're worth. Yeah. So the first one is the first two guys I'm going to go pretty quick because it's just kind of honestly not as cool as I thought it was. Uh, the guy's not number one. He was just first in the list. Robert Williams Fisher. He, is, uh, he murdered his wife and two children, and he's worth 100 k Not too bad. Eugene Palmer. Killed his daughter-in-law. He's worth 100K. So it's like, not that bad, but also like I thought they'd be like more international terrorists or something. These are just kind of guys that kind of got away. So those ones, they didn't have that much in- in- information on, but these next guys, I pulled this from their wanted poster. Poster. So this is what the FBI wrote for their pro- profiles. God damn, I can't talk today. And luckily, this name is super easy to say. Badresh Kumar Chittadabani Patel. <laughs> Let's run it back for Badmash Rad Kumar Chetabahani Patel. <laughs> bang, bang is wanted for allegedly killing his wife by striking her multiple times with an object while they were both working at a donut shop in Hanover, Maryland. Hanover, and he's been on the Maryland. run since 2015. How awkward if you ordered donuts and it resulted <laughs> in that being like, you know what? I don't need the donuts anymore. <laughs> If that stops what's happening, it's okay if you don't have cake donuts. I didn't know it's I said not it's a big okay. problem. I said it's okay. It's <laughs> okay. Ah! <laughs> Gives you this one. Is that are these stuffed? If you with want blood? to leave, but now you're a witness to a murder. You're like, could I'm calling nine one one? Like, are you fucking? What do serious? you want, sir? Can you put down the object? Because I don't I know what it was. I understand that the matcha green teas are <laughs> a rare flavor. I don't need you to have it. I just. It's not her fault. Asking if that's when you do. <laughs> I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> it was on me. So if you can resuscitate your wife, whose head is now in the fryer. I could see the kinds you have. <laughs> I could see them. This is one of those simple ones. You guys don't have cereal and stuff. That's okay. Okay, here's this guy. Alexis Flores is wanted for his alleged vomit in a kidnapping and murder of a five-year-old girl in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The girl was reported missing in late July of 2000 and was later found strangled to death in a nearby apartment as early as August of 2000. So he's been on the run for almost 20 years. He, cool 100K. That It kind of seems like they don't understand the value of money. No, or especially because they're making it. crimes are worse. In severe, yeah. Like, why is a kid the same bounty as a, a dude's sister-in-law? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sister-in-law. I feel sister-in-law, it's like Sister-in-law is the same as wife and kid, no. and it's the same as kid. Also, $100,000 is not that much money. No, I don't think it is either. To turn in someone for murder? And, I mean, you're risking, and I gotta go your, find them. You're risking your fucking life. Yeah, you're, you're hunting a psychopath who's been, who's been able to be uh, on the lam for 20 years. And if they don't get convicted at trial and put away for life, they want to kill you. For sure. I mean, you just got you just got a 
Bahadur Maresh Kumar is like, hey, let's go get some donuts. Someone who will kill his wife while working in a donut shop with her. What do you think it was? He was like, I said cake. I think it was a lot of things. I think (laughs) that when it's a marriage like that, it builds up. I saw a couple in Ralph's yesterday, and I mumbled under my breath, hopefully too quiet for them to hear me. I was like, get a divorce. Because it was just so, the way they were speaking to each other was so. Yeah, it's not just today. This has been for a while. No, it's not just. They need to have gotten a divorce a long time ago. Fucking end your horrible marriage. I want it to end. And I've only been with you (laughs) for five seconds. She was like, well, if you would have just gone and gotten the pineapple, like I said. And he was like, good. I'm glad you figured that out. And I'm just like, fucking pull the plug end it you're done it's not gonna get good no it, I, after th- you're talking to each other like that you're not gonna want to fuck the person ever again i mean you probably haven't fucked for years i mean absolutely just i mean i feel like we should just make being divorced easier to do rather than people what do you think of just like getting your license renewed every few years like years? a regular license that's a good idea do you want to renew your marriage license well no not fucking really all right your marriage expired That'd be a fucking. That'd be some pressure when that n- nine year comes in, though. Ooh, that'd yeah, probably be fun. Out, You're both just doing nice shit for each out, other. Reevaluate. A lifetime is a long time. Yeah. When they invented marriage and it was till death do us part. Like thirty six. That was till you were thirty six. Yeah. We'll be together till we turn thirty two. That's a great idea. That's reasonable. That's that a one. reasonable contract. They weren't planning to fucking. You're with the guy till he turns fucking 90 years old. You guys met in high school? Oh, God, I'm sorry about that. How could you have anything in common? You know what you have in common? Sharing your miserable life together. (laughs) And there are people who stay in love for that long. I can't fathom that. But, you know, I've never had had that. I've never been with someone I wanted to be with for more than a year. And I mean, that's being very generous. (laughs) I a dog's year, so it's actually three months. A dog's year. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start getting good on these last three guys. The last guy, actually a couple of these are pretty good. Arnoldo Jimenez is one of allegedly killing his wife on May 2nd, 2012, the day after his wedding. Oh, my God. He allegedly stabbed his wife to death in his black four-door 2006 Maserati, then dragged her body into a bathroom tub of her apartment in Burbank, Illinois. This is so fucked up that I had this thought, but my thought was like, what did she do? Like, because, I mean, he was mad about something. I'm not saying she deserved it. Of course she didn't. No one deserves to be fucking murdered. But I'd love to see the last five minutes of their conversation. I just want to know what possessed him what 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 happened i don't know he just looked like a normal ass like mexican dude too he was just kind of like a pudgy older mexican dude shaved head didn't look like he'd have a fucking maserati i'll tell you that much he looked like a just a normal ass dude the day after you got married kind of makes me think they shouldn't have gotten married. <laughs> i don't want to be the first one to say this i but, don't want to uh, be the one to you know i'm not the who should be married and who shouldn't be married police here but if you can't help but openly degrade each other in a Ralph's or kill your wife in your car the day after your marriage. I'm just maybe saying some people maybe. Yeah. Or, or maybe ways. you should be able to have like marriages like a it's like a community thing. Every 10 years you have to get like 20 people to say if you guys could just keep going together or not. But what if you're in like a nice little codependent marriage where you don't have 20 friends anymore because <laughs> you just have been <laughs> only true. hanging out with each you're other right. for the whole time. 
Well, that probably, I mean, Coda, I mean, Coda Pens, does that always work? Yeah, I guess it might work, right? It, I mean, I was kind of sarcastically saying a nice little Coda Pen, but you know people who are couples where it's like, have you had friends, and I wouldn't have friends like this today, but I've had friends where once, like, the girl got a boyfriend, if you wanted to hang out with her, you were hanging out with him. Like, they were together yes. 100% of the time. I think that's fine if you do it. I think 30 to 35% you're allowed to bring your significant other to. Or this was my thing. It just has to be something where everyone's bringing their significant others to. Like, it's just like friends hanging out and then someone brings their spouse. Unless the spouse is part of the group, you know. I, you know, I have friends like that. Then it's like, bro, what are you doing? Why would, why would that other person even want to come? Yeah, that's where I, I'm like. It's it's on a case by case basis. There have definitely been couples that I've known where I'm like, I love hanging out with both of you. Yes. Let's all hang out. I got yes. no problem with that. But there also have been situations where I'm just like, I wouldn't say, you know, if, if I knew her before I knew him, and I'm just like, dude, I wouldn't. I, I don't even care if you tell him all about my personal business later. I f expect you to. But there's just stuff that I feel comfortable talking to you about that I wouldn't say in front of him. And we just like never get there. Yeah. And vice versa. I think that you should have conversations for your own mental health that are not in front of your partner. Yeah. hundred percent. You know. Also, it's like maybe your partner. I wouldn't have hung out with this person. Maybe not for you. Maybe so, I don't like your fucking partner. Yeah. Let's start there. Let's, let's also let's speak to the elephant in the room, which <laughs> is maybe your partner's a fucking gonad and that's why they don't have any friends of your own. You chose them. I didn't. And they're a bummer. I mean, especially as like comics, how many significant others have you seen where they just like sit there and they don't talk? And mm -hmm. you would think that that would not be a problem, but it's weird. Yeah. It's like, why are you here? You're like this weird. They're like this fucking plant that I got to keep worrying about it's if so it's happy. Weird. Okay, so this is my favorite description from the FBI for this guy, Yasir Abdel Saeed. His physical, this is what the FBI wrote. Physical features may vary in order to conceal his identity. He wears dark sunglasses both indoor and outside. Cool guy. Saeed was born in Egypt and may seek shelter with Egyptians. This is my favorite part. It sounds like a dating profile. He frequents Denny's and IHOP restaurants and smokes Marlboro Lights 100s. He Saeed loves dogs, especially Dan and black colored German shepherds. Saeed is known to carry a weapon at all times. Why does this have so much more personal information than, than any of the other ones? I don't know. Irrelevant. I yeah. mean, I guess it's not irrelevant because if you see a guy in an IHOP with a dog and, <laughs> then, a and a Marb 100, <laughs> that's all pretty important information. Oh, this one kind of sucks. His, his was kind of shitty. But, you know, what also, Yasir uh, is wanted for alleged involvement he did in the murder of his two teenage daughters. The girls died of multiple gunshots January 1st, 2008. Teenagers. Still 100K. So it doesn't matter how many people. It doesn't matter what the nature of the murder was. Apparently they stand firm on that being the, yeah, the, the amount that they're but we're willing gonna, to This pay. is where we up it right here. This is where we start to up it. Where is the thing at? There it is. I was going to try and look. So that two mil is looking like more and more. Yeah, there's gonna be a t there's gonna be a t the end guy is real spicy. Okay, so this guy's it's, j it's just one name. It was Brown. He sp speaks fluent French. Has a master's degree in international business. He is an avid golfer, snowboarder, skier, and dirt biker. Brown enjoys being the center of attention. Has been known to frequent nightclubs where he enjoys showing off his high-priced vehicles, boats, and other toys. Brown was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and completed his Mormon mission near Paris. 
Oh, this is his name. Jason Derrick Brown is wanted for murder and armed robbery in Phoenix, Arizona. During a robbery, he allegedly shot and call, killed an armored car guard outside a movie theater and fled with the money. He's worth 200 k Because a guy robbed a movie theater? I would do the guy who killed both his daughters. That's got to be pretty fucking high up there. The guy who killed a five-year-old. Yeah, and strangled. But it's more... I mean... Law was invented to protect property. Yeah. It was not invented to keep people hey, safe. fucking man. So we got two more. This last guy, Jose Rodolfo Villarreal Hernandez, also known as El Gato. The cat. The cat is wanted for his alleged involvement in interstate stalking and conspiracy to commit murder for hire of a 43-year-old male victim. Uh, a federal arrest warrant for these charges was issued. Uh, that part doesn't matter. Oh, this is Villa Real Hernandez allegedly holds an active leadership position in the Beltran Levia drug trafficking organization within the regions of San Pedro Garza Garcia in Mexico. He's worth one million dollars. So the last guy and probably the coolest one on this little little excerpt we did. His name is. Rafael Caro Quintero. So if you know anything about drug uh, cartels, you know this guy. <laughs> he uh, was a f- is a member of the Sinaloa cartel. Um, he is one of the bigger guys there. He is wanted for alleged involvement in kidnapping and murder of a DE agent in 1985. He uh, is still a reigning member in a cartel. He is worth $20 million. Holy shit, what? Yeah, he bumped up for killing a DE agent. Suddenly those pockets are a little bit deeper. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, yeah, if you fucked with one of them, they don't give a fuck, I guess. So, uh, last one is... That's fucked up. That's so fucked up. I know. That he killed a de-agent in Mexico. I remember that's the big story about... $20 million because he killed a cop versus 100000 when he killed a little girl. And family members. Fucking psycho shit, man. Um, Okay, well, now we're going to start going into... uh, Coonsaw's timeline of life. Let's pause this real quick so I can get some more. Coonsaw was born Zhang Kuifu in the Shan state of Burma, Myanmar, on February 17th, 1932. The Shan state borders China and Laos is known for its factions and ethnic armies. So, like, there's just, like, a bunch of weird small warlords there. And then they all just fight each other. Like, different villages fight each other, and some are making, like, uh, there's a lot of ecstasy comes from there. I think from, like, the sassafras plant. And then they make a lot of heroin there. Ecstasy comes from sassafras? It's a type of sassafras. Yeah, yeah. It's this giant tree over there. And then they, they make it from that. I don't think... It, I think it is... I think it's something something sassafras. Like, that's in the name. I don't think it is the root beer. Have you done ecstasy? Oh, God, yeah. It's like my favorite. How did you... Oh, well, never mind. I, I was going to be like, how did you like it? Oh, it's great. I couldn't suggest ecstasy more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's... You you f- get really emotional. You get to hang out with your friends. Music's great. Um, it's very bonding. Um, yeah, I've taken Molly. I mean, I think I took Molly a couple of weeks ago. It's probably my favorite one to take. I remember taking XC pills as a kid. Those were weird because then you just take this pill and you didn't know what was in it. Some yeah. guy made it. Yeah. And then you could just be like, it, the only way people would be like, well, that one is blacked out. So I think heroin is in that and Molly and this <laughs> one. And you're just like, okay, I like the heroin ones more. Then you just take them and geek out. Yeah, man. I stopped doing drugs before. Like all the good drugs came out, now? came yeah, out. Yeah. Like, and y- I stopped doing drugs and then moved here, and they got like hard sodas now. <laughs> Fucking alcoholic <laughs> orange soda? Are you shitting me? Alcoholic root beer 
edibles, gummies that fuck you up, but not where you get paranoid. Yeah, they got weed, beers. They could just do it's everything too now. When he was three years old, his father died, and that two years after, his mother remarried, and then she died. And his stepfather eventually sent him to go live with his grandfather, who ran a little village in the Shan area. So not starting out great a for him. Vi- a village? Village. <laughs> he went to the village in Kazakhstan. Yeah, I don't know how people listen to this with me talking, honestly. But they do, and I appreciate all 300 of you. Prior to this... Prior to this, uh, his stepfather sent him to go study in a Buddhist monastery. So, like, what type of... Imagine that. This guy went from being the biggest producer of heroin in the world, or he could have been a fucking monk. Yeah, I bet they don't include that in the pamphlet for the monastery. (laughs) They're probably not like, this is one of our graduates. (laughs) The head head heroin warlord of history. Here's a question. What do you think would be the best monk priest to be in? Like what religion? Buddhist. Buddhist? Why do you think Buddhist? Because that's the most recent one I've heard Heard? and I can't think (laughs) of others. I think Christian guys seem pretty cool. Like Christian pastors and stuff. They still get to have sex. They still get to like, I think, have beers and stuff. I mean, it depends what kind of Christian. The Catholic ones don't get to fuck. Well, ca- I'm, I'm, I meant like Christian. Like, yeah, Catholic seems. Yeah, awful. but there other kinds of Christian don't have monks. Yeah, I more meant like a f- religious figure. I felt like that one would be. I don't know what they're doing in Latter Day sta- Saints or like the stinks. The, the stinks. <laughs> Latter Day Stinks. That's our improv group in uh, Salt Lake City. Check us out at <laughs> Wise Guys. Latter Day Taints. <laughs> we just got banned from Latter-day Wise Guys. Stains. Stains? Oh, that one's even grosser. <laughs> so in the 50s, he re- receives military uh, training from the Kumatang, which is like, they're like the guys who used to r- run China. And it's kind of like what we were doing in our military when we go into other places. We try to train these people to have them work for us, but most of the time they just turn against you. Yeah. When he was 16, he started his own military group, which quickly grew to hundreds of soldiers, allowing him to move from the Kumatang and join the opium trade at 16. Pretty cool. I picture him as like, I picture essentially, and this might be a racist thing to say, but I'm going to say it. I picture him as like Rufio from the Lost Boys, but with like way more heroin. That makes this story more compelling to me because yeah. I think I speak for everyone. Every, everyone, when I say that like we all wanted Rufio. Rufio was, yeah, I was a straight man and that guy was very attractive young. He man. had a quality yeah. that I think transcended uh gender identity and sexual preference for sure and he looked ridiculous but he still pulled it off oh he was sexy dude i'll say it he was pretty cool to me as a child Mm -hmm. i was a child i wouldn't watch it now that's a weird thing do you ever like re-see movies where you're like i had a crush on that kid as a kid and Mm -hmm. as an adult you're like that was a kid but i guess that's not weird because you were a kid too i opened up one of my old old cell phones and i had a nude from a girl you the, dated yeah. in high school? Yeah, and I was like, oh, deleting this, threw that away. Yikes. Yeah, that <laughs> I might have to delete that part from in, the podcast. In my in my mind, you broke the phone in half <laughs> like they do Swallowed in it. movies about drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Just have this phone now that jiggles inside me. And then you broadcast it on your podcast to both of your listeners. I mean, there's a couple hundred to of my closest friends and family. hundred of your listeners. <laughs> 
<laughs> he and his group uh, would keep switching side between the government. He would just play both sides, the Thai and the Burmese, whatever suited him. In 1963, his army reformed under the control of the Burmese army to help fight local Shan rebels. So we keep, I keep seeing in this and what I've researched on it is like these guys, a lot of these poor countries don't have the military to defend themselves, so they'll kind of like sublet it to a normally a drug kingpin or a drug lord thinking that like hey man on the other side of this you got me right and the guy's like yeah yeah for sure as he's just pump, pumping out money and it never works out for them um instead uh what they did is they allowed him to grow opium and they would never they would never mess with him they just wanted him to protect people and continue, continue fighting the shan rebels and he did the exact opposite what happened is he grew all the opium became more powerful than the burmese army and just took over holy shit yeah sucks sucks for them man and at this point he's 27 so at 16 started his own military organization started getting into opium at 27 tricks the burmese government into letting him grow heroin he becomes more powerful than them i mean it's weird to have that make me feel lazy yeah and you're doing good (laughs) because this is like a pretty evil empire yeah, I I often compare myself to other comics, but then if you're like, God, let me look what Kun Sa was doing at 27. 16-year-old <laughs> drug lords. This guy had a million dollars back when a dollar could buy you a fucking hut. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I mean, pr- pr- probably less than that over there. So at this point, now he's getting real cocky, right? He's got the Burmese. He's owning Burmese. He owns those fools, Myanmar, which is now known Myanmar. And now he's like, I'm going to go after the Kumatang, the Chinese nationals that helped helped kind of like bring him up and he's i mean people don't really like them because they're kind of you know in their country kind of telling what to do and also they were kind of weird people to go uh to really just begin with so this is this this is his first fuck up right here and it's a pretty historic fuck up it's called the 1967 opium war so saw uh has his agents buy and gather 16 tons of pure opium from neighboring states and he goes he has a several hundred mile caravan of mules carrying heroin 200 miles from burma to laos right like he's literally mules carrying heroin the caravan was escorted by 800 men from his army along the two mile trek so like a lot of times you know it even goes for gangs here if you're going to sell drugs in someone's area you have to kick up to the gang or in uh myanmar uh laos too all the just the golden triangle when you go through one of these warlords kind of place, you have to kick up him cash. Of course. So for some reason, Kun Sa just goes, fuck it. Because a lot of these guys are part of that Kumatang, that Chinese guy. He says, fuck it, I'm not going to pay taxes. This resulted, everyone's getting pissed. And he's also going 200 miles on fucking mules. So like when I say no, I'm not paying you, you can just run and go tell someone and you're right behind me. I'm not yeah. flying on a plane. Right, right. So... So the guys send out a word about what's happening, that he's not paying anybody, he's not giving us money. So his caravan is soon followed by a 1,000 Kumatang militia members who are now want even more money. And he's still like, no, I'm not paying you, I'm not paying you, fuck you, I'm not paying you. And then he, get, he makes it. He makes it to the village that he's going to start refining all this opium, right? And one of the villagers radio the Laos Air Force, deal telling them that, like, you know, because he doesn't, the villagers doesn't want Saw, and the villager doesn't want these Kumatang guys. So he goes to the uh, Royal Laos Air Force and goes, hey, there's 2,000 combined members of the Kumatang and the Shy United Army. So they go, okay, cool. They tell a couple of these people to get out, you know, people, just the normal villagers. And then the Royal Lao Army um, surround this town, 
and then proceed to repeatedly bomb both armies over the next two days from airplanes. Just bombing the fucks out of all these guys. Um, they, hundreds of people Wait, are dead. Wait, who's doing that? So the Laos. The guy with the mules? No, the mules. The mule guy. So there's they, all, They're getting bombed. They're getting bombed. A the, territory that he wouldn't pay money yes. to. Yes. And then the Kumit, the other little side warlords are getting bombed. And then the Laos Air Force is bombing them. So, and then they also surround the place so these guys can't escape. So they get bombed the fuck out. Only 400 people live. So there's 2,000, only 400 people live. And Kunsal loses all the opium. So he loses all of his guys. He loses all of his opium. And all the rest of his men desert him. He's got nothing left. He's about 32 right now. He just lost everything. Rough day at the office for Saw. Um, I don't. I this was the point in the story. I don't know how he gets back from this, but he has this ability to really start getting fucked up and then come back, which he does here. In 1969, he starts to have talks with another little Shan State Army. It's a le- local rebel group uh, who is the enemy of the Burmese government. Remember, he used to work for them. Then he stopped working for him. He plays both sides. So right when he starts having, he's starting to have make a comeback. His life is starting to go, go good. He's like, I'm going to go alley up with this other Sean State Army. Burmese learn about it, say he's responsible for high treason. They don't really care about the drug dealing and stuff because they allow him to do it. And then uh, he gets imprisoned, and he loses everything. He has no followers. He's in a shitty Burmese prison. I mean, you think American prisons are fine. This is like dirt and fucking bamboo, and you're not getting out of there. But there was a few people that stuck by him. And I love the guy who stuck by him. It's like, imagine that. It's an abusive relationship, you know? The guy lost 60% to 80% of all his followers, lost all of his opium. He's now in the jail, and they're just like, he's going to make a comeback. Did you ever see Broke Down Palace? Uh-oh, what was that one about? It was with Claire Danes, and um, they accidentally got, like, drugs sent to him, and they had to be in a Thai prison for like a long time. That is one of my biggest fears. You ever watch that one show Locked Up Abroad? No. Oh, it's a whole show about how just people kind of, like some people were trying to deal drugs and some people, like I guess there's some drug dealers that will just slip shit in your bag Then when you get across they'll have a guy meet you outside and say, I need to see your fucking bag and takes it out and these guys just get locked up in prisons in other countries, shitty countries too, for a long time. It's a really great one. What? For how long? Where should I not go? I never want to go anywhere. A lot of them happen from Mexico and South America. A lot of these guys do it. Fucking never going. I mean, yeah. Done. I was thinking about going to Colombia for... Or I'll drive in my own car, but I won't. Now I'm too scared. What? They literally... Some people People who didn't do anything? They got it slipped in there, or the government was just super And shady. how long do they have to be in prison years. in another country? Five, seven years. <gasps> oh my God, I'm never going anywhere. No. I'm never going anywhere. Imagine being in another shit. So it's a Steve, where prison. should I not go? <laughs> Anywhere? I think, I mean, just don't go to like third world countries. I'm going like to watch the show. Oh, or should I never it's watch great. the it's show? Great. I, I will watch the show. I'm binging on it as soon as you it's leave. It's one of the best ones. So, right, I'm, I'm kind of shitting on his followers. He's only got a handful left. But it turns out they're the fucking shit. In 1973, the same handful of followers kidnapped two Soviet doctors hold them for ransom and say, you have to let out Kunsa or we're going to kill this guy. And this fucking Burmese government is just so backwards. They're just like, okay. So they release Kunsa. They release the prisoners. Kunsa is back. I don't think I have anyone in my life that would stick by me that long. 
Fuck no. I'd abandoned you so much before this. <laughs> the first time someone was like, that's Steve Fury guy. You're like, I've known it the whole time. As soon as you were like, I'm not paying you, I'd be like, I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. That is, that's the moment. The first time someone was like, we're going to take mules 200 miles. Like, on oh, my back. I don't think I can Yeah, do you wouldn't story. make it through that sentence with my still planning to be with you. Once <laughs> <laughs> I heard mule, I'm Like, out. you lost me at mules. <laughs> You're always gonna lose my mules. Like, we're not even horse money. You had me for I'm gonna take. I was still hearing you out. <laughs> Two hundred miles. I, I was like, dropped oh, off. Mules done. <laughs> you know we got horse money, coon. <sighs> so this is what happens, right? So this is also funny too. When he said coon, that was K U H I. I know. I just feel like we need. I would like to, to say that clear too. that. Yeah. <laughs> Cahoon. I will be editing that out <laughs> and using it to destroy you. But just editing me saying coon over and over again. Coon, <laughs> coon, 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 coon. Um, so, n- <laughs> so, so this is another time that the government, you know, give give coon uh, saw, coon saw. There you go. A, uh, uh, little let's not make a habit <laughs> of it. <laughs> let's not get too comfortable. It's like too with that word. Don't feel like we're on a first name basis with, <laughs> with coon, with coon, coon saw, saw. If I'm being honest, we're both. Yeah, I'll do Doctor Mr. Coon saw, Mr. Coon, Mr. Saw. Mr. Saw. It would be Mr. Coon. But yeah, because Asian, I think they switch. Yeah, they trip. do it different. So uh, once again, Burmese try to help this fool out. They release him. He becomes a monster. He goes underground. In 1976, this is when he starts booming his shit. 1966, he ref- he gets a new militia in North Thailand. This is where he adopted the name Kun Sa, which literally means prosperous prince, which is kind of my favorite thing. About it means Prince Prosperous, but you changed it because he's Asian? It says Prince Prosperous. Yes, I did. I think I just made. I, did, I think Prince Prosperous didn't make much sense in my head, so I switched it back. Yeah, like Prince Philip. Yeah. Oh, but that's his last name, so it's like maybe Prince Prosperous. I just love. I feel like there's. I a mean, they both are the same concept. Prosperous Prince, Prince Prosperous. You get the idea. Yeah. Prosperity and princehood. Also, I feel like that's a big no-no. Like when you're following someone and they change their name to something really weird. Yeah. You got to be worried. Like oh. Cool. Now your name's Steve Delicious Master. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll keep following you now, Delicious Master. Yeah, I was more of a fury guy <laughs> myself. Um, but good luck. <laughs> I was out I was out at Mules. I'm definitely out at Delicious Master. Do you think that Diddy what's his name now? Coons, what's uh, Puff Daddy's current name? Something about a Combs? Sean Combs. I think Sean Combs didn't go back to birth is, is that it? P. Diddy? Maybe. I don't know. I haven't thought of him in so long. Remember when he was changing his name and that was a thing we all thought about? Yeah, that was why he was the first one I thought of when we were talking about name changes. And I wonder if he lost people out of his life every time he changed his name. But I he thought he that. would get him back by changing it to a different name. Like he thought that they just didn't like that name. So he was like, no, no, hear me out. Comb Daddy. Comb Daddy. <laughs> No? Okay, no. Well, I also feel like he started at Puff Daddy. That's a big one. Then he's like P. Diddy. No, he needed to just stay Puff Daddy. Puff Daddy's pretty good. I mean, if you nail it out the front like Puff Daddy. P. Diddy. P. Diddy's okay. And then it was Sean Combs. It's like, oh, you're pulling back. You're getting older. You can't be like a 55-year-old man. Has he had Puff other Daddy. ones? I mean, maybe. I don't. He's not like one of my favorite guys. I do think he's very powerful in the music industry, but... So he's doing Prince Prosperous. He starts his own another army called the Sean United Army. All these names get very confusing because there's only a few names that they like to fuck around with. 
So he starts trafficking a huge amount of opium. He's in Thailand right now. When the Communist Party of Thailand get into power, they push Khun Sa's region. They push him out of the region in 1981 because the USDA is putting pressure on them to do it. This leads to an assassination on him from the Thai military, people that we trained. 39 people go to attack him in his little village. He kills all of them. He doesn't even get hurt at all. A year later, U.S. government starts helping. They send, they help the Thai army send a thousand men, including helicopters, gunships, and planes, to surround and destroy his operation. The battle list lasted for five days and resulted in heavy casualties for both sides. In the end, was Saw was forced back to retreat to Burma. Damn. Again, it's crazy that he wasn't defeated, though. He just had to retreat like what a motherfucker. That's exactly what I'm what I wrote after this. It's like I tell you what, this guy does not fucking quit right now. He's 48. So that's 100. Yes, that's in in jungle years. That's very old. No one lives after seven. There's like six Mowgli's and then that's about it. He's 48. He started his own rubble group at 16. He takes a two mile opium run on mules. 200 miles. 200 mile opium run on mules loses 400 a thousand of his men he survived multiple days of bombing he scrapped back started making alliance with new warlords gets sent to prison for treason for four years that's not a good place to go to prison for treason that's a pretty bad one he captures russian intelligence officers slash doxers gets released goes underground starts another rebel group defeats an assassination by 39 trained thai military personnel then a year or two later, when he's back up and running, the Thai army sends a thousand men with U.S. help, including helicopters and gunships and planes to surround and destroy his operation. I'm good. I'd quit. Take a hint, Kunsa. Yeah. It's like, how great can selling heroin in a jungle be? Yeah. I don't think that it was for love of selling heroin <laughs> in a jungle. I think that... People get addicted to power and control. And then I also think it just gets really scary. And once you start fighting, you're in fight mode, you know? Yeah, it's not like he could just be like an accountant. He's like, I'm done. He just comes back. Right, exactly. What's he going to do? Go work at fucking FedEx? (laughs) He's a warlord. Excuse me, Miss Prince Prosperous. Uh, There's someone shit in the bathroom. Yeah, I can't even imagine how a warlord like thinks. I mean, you got it. I mean, especially a warlord among warlords, you know, it's like I feel like if you have like some backwoods organization, you kind of build yourself up and you slowly go crazy. But you're like competing with other warlords. Sounds fucking terrible. It do- it really does. I don't think that any amount of money would make that worth it. That just the stress because you wouldn't get to enjoy any of it. It would be like going on a stolen vacation. That is a Oh, you can keep going. No, you s- began a sentence. Well, it's just, uh, that's kind of like the thing that I keep seeing in these things. It's like the pressure that these guys are under doesn't seem worth it. No, not at all. Because then imagine like, imagine if there only could be like one comedian in the world and all your friends wanted that comedian and you had it and in their end, they're all nice to you, but they still want to be that one comedian. And they, they want to s- kill they you. They want to fucking kill you. Everyone wants to kill you. And you have to just kill people and be more ruthless than the next person. Just seems like it fucking sucks. Yeah. So the next year he's rebuilding his army again. He goes to northwest Thailand, defeats those guys, starts taking primary control of the region, building his shit back up. This is when he changes a lot of his stuff because he used to take heroin, then bring it to Hong Kong 
to get it uh kind of like uh refined but now he starts his own refining refining his money goes through the roof and then he starts working with a relationship with the burmese army again and he starts learning from their intelligent uh operatives and he does the same thing it's like these dudes don't learn he starts then playing the other side the thai people and learning from their intelligence op- officers and he starts taking control over the gar- golden triangle again in 1985, he merges Shan United Army with another rebel group, the Mong Thai Army, and now he gains a control of 150 miles along the border of Burma and Thailand. So anything going through there, these guys get a piss, pick, pick a piece of. So if it's like Coca-Cola or most likely drugs, human trafficking, that kind of stuff. Oh. So he's like got a shit ton of money. He's making more and more money, and this is when Uncle Sam starts talking. Wait, what's locked up abroad on? I would say Discovery Channel. Oh, is it on like a streaming service? Probably. You'd probably have to find it. I mean, whatever those are, you know, they're all fucking, they're just like different warlords now, you know? <laughs> there's there's Kunsa's Netflix, and there's all these little warlords of Paramount and all this shit. Yeah. But I think it's Discovery. That was one of my be- one of my favorite ever. And it make me, I used to run drugs over the border. I used to take, buy pills in uh, Tijuana and walk them over the border. Oh, shit. Yeah, I used to do that a lot as a kid. And as I, a kid? Well, I was like 18 to 22. Wow. Yeah. Lot stupid. I mean, when I think of it now, it was really fucking stupid. Yeah, that was really fucking stupid. Because I like, well, I mean, I would make, uh, essentially. How much money did you make? Well, I mean, okay, so. did it for free. I did it for love of the game. (laughs) (laughs) Just like to be a helper. (laughs) Pretty much you could buy something for a pill down there for a dollar, and you could sell it in Sacramento for five to six. So I would go down with like a thousand. Steve, I got to be honest, man. That's not good enough. But I would buy like 2,000 pills. Yeah. So then that would flip up to like 10 grand and I would just live off that for the year. Wow. Man. Like I said, a lot of pressure that wasn't really needed. And I put that pressure on myself. You could do that now. We could do that now. I thought I I was about to go to Tijuana with my girlfriend and just go and then maybe bring back like two burger sets or something. I was just too scared now. Yeah, I wouldn't do it, but I could see how someone would. Yes, especially because when, when you're doing it and you're not getting caught, it's like free money. This well, is the easiest thing in the fucking world. And I mean, being a white American, oh. you like. I would go. I would wear I've a pink driven polo. back from Mexico, yeah. and they're just like, mm-hmm. they're bored that I even am in the car. Well, they don't even fuck you when you walk across. They don't care. Because I think because the amount that you can carry on you that would look, especially I would never have a backpack or anything. I would just put it, I'd normally put it above my butt right here. Butthole. No, not <laughs> no, no. It was like it was literally a football size amount of pills, like this big, and I had to bring that over. The last that was the last one I ever did. That shit was scary. Um, so I flattened it, tried to put it on my back, and I, w- I wore a pink polo. I wore seven jeans and flip flops. So I was like, it was just like I just came down here to party, but it, the bulge was so big on my back. What I did is I took a holy fuck. I went and I went and bought two paintings from the street on the sides, and I was like, okay, if they stop me, I'll just be like, I came here to buy some art. This is literally my my thought which is fucking dumb because it's just people on the street buying art and I would also put it on both sides of my butt to hide the bulge right on both sides and I was like okay I'll just do that this will make sense and I get there I get in line and there's a line there's a line to get across yeah and everyone and this is a packed day because during the day there's a line during the night you can just walk and I'm also like sticking out like a sore fucking thumb because it's all like Mexico Mexicans so they're not very tall I'm six foot. I'm way bigger than everybody. I'm wearing a pink polo. 
I'm standing out more than you could fucking ever stand out. And I'm looking up, and we're getting close, and I'm looking at these two fucking border guards. Like, you know, point at each other, and they point at me. And I can't, I can't, you can't just run. One, where am I going to run? Two, when you run from, like, a, a customs agent, it's not like they're like, oh, that guy probably left something at home. So, right. So I'm just going up, I'm going up, and then they point me out, and they go, come here. <gasps> and I was like, fuck. Oh, my God. I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. Because these are the Mexico side, too, not even the American side, where maybe I could, like, you know, first time get in trouble or something. They bring me Did over. Did they warn you that you were in danger? No, they just go come over here and they go, let me see your ID because I, I didn't even have a passport at that time. It didn't matter back then. Um, they go, why are you here? And I was like, I was just want to go drinking in the strip club. And they go, uh huh. They look me up and down. And they go, okay, you can go. And I got to cut the line and went through. And that was the last time I ever did that. It was scary. I still have those paintings somewhere. They're really stupid. It's like Bob Marley, a side profile of Bob Marley smoking a joint into like a skull's face, this whole thing. Done on black light. I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. That's a story, dude. Yeah, I want to try and make it funny. And uh, dude, when I had to get those pills, I had to. Uh, it's not easy to get that many pills because when you go, you can go. So, number one, if you go to Mexico, you can go into a pharmacy and you can just get whatever you want. They can just give it to you. And just, but to get that mass amount, I had to go to this one guy tattooed all of his face at ms-13 he goes yeah just <gasps> oh it gets so much worse he just goes just follow me just follow me i got you bro turns me down a dark alley he's got a buddy behind me i've got about two grand in my pocket i'm looking like a fucking moron in the pink polo and in bell bottom seven jeans and he's walking me down this thing and he goes come up here and it's this shady looking strip club we go up there and he goes sit down here and this is I, I try to make it funny. There's if I ever do this bit, then he puts he sits me to go sit right here. And it's like a it's like a you ever been to Texas Road lo, Roadhouse barbecue? One of the long benches. I haven't. But no, but it's like a place where you eat peanuts and you throw them on the ground. I've been to a Five Guys where you eat peanuts yeah. and throw okay, them. Okay, yeah, ground. like that. But like the peanuts were gathering. So it's a strip club. Peanut waste, I would say, two inches thick everywhere. Sits me down. They to bring in this stripper. They put a six pack of tiny Coronas. Tiny Coronas next to me disgusting stripper c-section scars everything she's dancing there they put two big ass dudes next to me and the guy goes where's my money or where's the money and i go you know i'm like fucking all right man i'm not gonna die for it's fucking two my, grand it's in stevie's yeah, tushy yeah, it's, <laughs> it's gonna be in your hand in a second he gets it leaves for an hour and a half i'm there watching just the grossest strip show for an hour and a half women are coming and going i'm drinking tiny coronas two big ass dudes are sitting next to me and i'm like i'm, I'm just like what's i'm like i'm probably gonna i thought i might have died i thought i was gonna die because it's like why would he give me the pills after he took the money yeah just to be a cool guy yeah didn't make sense so and i was like and i'm like i'm in the shady ass place you do it to make more money off of you. He has an yeah. American who's willing to run his and shit I was over the border. To do it too. He has an American dumbass who's not gonna like challenge his power and is willing to run his shit over the border and will come back next week with fucking ten grand. And that and he came back. But then he came back with more than I ever thought. It was like you know those one of those footballs you try to th- throw, but then it's like the biggest football you've ever tried to throw in a world. So he comes and gives that to me and I leave. But then now I have this and it looks like it looks like every drug thing you've seen. It's a black bag wrapped up in tape, and it's fucking there. So I'm going, all right, fuck. Well, this is obviously drugs. This is obvious. There's nothing. I can't just like walk across the border like, I'm going to go play football. I bought it here. 
<laughs> so I'm like, okay, and it's I can't keister this or anything. I'm not that I ever have, but it would be like, <laughs> on, be change a, your fucking yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be in a wheelchair going you across. Wouldn't be the able thing. to hold your shit in for the rest of your fucking life. So then I went in line and did it and got across. It was a uh, it was a gnarly day. That is a terrifying story. It was a terrifying. And then how long did this entire story take from start to finish, from the time you left your house in the morning till the time? You got across the border. Well, we went the day before, stayed at my friend's house. But th- here's another thing that was really important about the, the, the whole story is that there was a time where s- people in San Diego and students would go to Tijuana to party. Like it was a big thing. Like everyone from SDSU, San Diego State would go there or San Diego University would go there. You'd party and come back. But then they started doing crazy cartel shit where people were dying and all this stuff. And I didn't know that they were doing that shit. So when I was going down before, it was a party. It was like Ensenada. There's a bunch of kids there. It's a good vibe. This time I come down, the last time, I am the only white person in Tijuana. I'm not, that's not a bit. That's not a joke. I'm the only white person in Tijuana. I'm walking through like goddamn wolves are looking at me because I'm the only person that's going to buy anyone's shit. And then, and so, yeah. And you have two grand. Two grand in my pocket. It was fucking. It was what would have happened if you'd lost that money? I would have done the same thing. I would have never done again. I thought they would have killed me or something for two grand, rather than giving me the stuff to come back. But I mean, I would have kept going if it wasn't so scary. I probably would have kept doing it. I honestly, a lot of things I've quit just luckily right before it went bad. I had a bunch of friends I meant to say on the opium story. They were like my best friends, and then one day I went to hang out with them, and they all started getting into opium, and I was just like, I think I'm done. And then I think two of them died, OD'd from heroin, and the other guy, two other guys went to rehab, and I don't ever see them anymore. Yeah, I definitely had friends who went on to do heroin, do crack, get murdered, and I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Just barely. It's like we saw the light. Barely. <laughs> yeah, the somehow there was like it. a moment of clarity when I was offered heroin, mm-hmm. when I was offered crack, and I was just like... I don't know much, but I do know that this is a line that I can't cross or I won't come back. Yeah, it's like when fucking Kunsa was going to be a fucking Buddhist monk or a crime lord, warlord. It's like you're it's like it's a pathway, you know, you can start smoking crack. I mean, do you know do we know a lot of people that smoked crack and they were like, "Nah, that's not for me. Just go on with lives." I don't know. It seems like you're choosing a way of life when someone does something like that. I think I know someone who did it once. But also, maybe I don't. I might try. I don't think I want to. I got to actually. I got to don't buddy. try crack. I don't you fucking crack. idiot. Oh, no. I thought you were saying I might. Try I might it. have my life if someone uh, ordered it and throughout my life, but I never would have. I thought you said I might try. Like you were thinking about it. And I'm like, come on, Steve. I have no interest for crack cocaine. Don't start doing crack. I have no interest it's for crack or heroin. The last thing I need, frankly, <laughs> is for you to start doing crack. If I just was a crackhead, that would be awful. Yeah, I'd be so bummed. I don't. Yeah, I'm not. A, I, don't, I would never do that stuff. Um, in 1980, so back to Kuhn Saw. Just like always, when people start making a shit ton of money, that's when America gets involved. They're seeing him making a ton of money. They're mad at him. So they start donating millions and millions of dollars to the Burmese government to try and get them to kick him the fuck out. But little do they know, the Burmese government, 75% of their fucking state economy is built on this guy. So instead of taking that money to attack Hunsaw, they build better highways for him to traffic his cocaine, and they lie to the America and say that uh, he's dead. And he is not. 
and we find this out in 1988 when Australian. This is my favorite stuff. Kunsaw kind of starts unraveling here because I mean, what? He's probably damn near 60, 70 years old right now. He starts unraveling, get a little, get a little weirder. So Kunsaw, there's an Australian journalist called Stephen Rice who uh, crossed illegally through Thailand. He goes through the desert doing all the shit, and he sits down to talk with Kunsaw because Kunsaw is getting pretty famous. People know who he is. And then he goes, hey, man, what will you do to stop selling opium? And he goes, this is what I'll do. He goes, this is to the Australian government. He talks. You can watch the video. He talks to the government. He goes, I will give you my entire crop for eight years as long as you pay me $50 million a year. I'll stop selling heroin. And then the government is like, no, we're not going to pay criminals to reform from being criminals. So then he gets started. So that, that like when you start pissing off different governments across the world, people start to notice. So then America does an American federal uh, grand jury on drug trafficking, which I mean, they put it against him, but they still can't get him. He's still in the middle of a fucking desert in the middle of nowhere. And so he goes, OK, when he hears this, he puts out a public announcement. He goes, I will I'll stop selling drugs permanently in return. I want two hundred and sixty five million dollars in foreign investment 89 million in private aid for crops to be substitute health care education and 21 million in un assistance so he wants damn near 500 million dollars to stop doing this obviously slapped america's face slapped everybody's face uh, he's denied by america and that's when they put the two million dollar hit on his head which never really gets played out to be honest with you but this is the downfall. We're at the end now. Uh, other opium routes start opening into India, Southeast China, Laos, and Cambodia. Khunsa starts losing influence and powers. Eventually, other militia take over. And um, he just starts losing everything, man. He's not really getting shit. He's getting old. What really the biggest problem was, he was kind of getting old, and then his right-hand guy uh, died. And then so one of the armies start. They don't really respect Kun. They only respect the other guy. They start leaving him. Um, oh, yeah, this is a funny one. This one's pretty funny. So as his shit's falling apart, he goes to all the other warlords. and goes, hey, guys, we need to come together, work together. No more bickering. We're just going to focus on profits. And they go, okay, we're going to do that. He actually gets all the guys from the whole area to come. And instead of <laughs> doing what he said, he goes, okay, so I'm going to rule everybody, and I'm going to do all the shit. Everyone gets pissed off. They start killing his people. He has nothing left to do. He has declining resources. No one's with him anymore. So I know what you're thinking. What happens? The Burmese government finally gets him. What happens? Do they let they nothing happen? They let him go. He's still alive up to 2007. Served no time. Did not go to jail. Had none of his people in prof in, in, imprisoned. Um, and to be quote, uh, what was it? I think 2002, he quote himself as a real estate agent with a foot in the construction industry. Are you fucking serious? Yep. He just lives in Myanmar. How is he even alive just as a person? Why, why didn't that people not kill him? Who why the fuck is alive? Who was an adult in the thirties? <laughs> That's period. And very true. How the fuck is he alive? Even if he was a real estate agent the whole time as a regular guy, when was he born? Uh, 1938, I think. He dies in 2007. What the fuck? He's 80 motherfucking years old 75 right now? when he... No, he died in 2007, but he's he died almost 75. Age of 73. Holy shit. 
And it says he just died of old age, diabetes, hypertension, heart disease. And before he died, he says he doesn't want to be buried in the Sean State because people are going to fuck with it. But he does when he retires because he doesn't get in trouble when he retires. He retires so that his uh, kids won't get in trouble. And one of his kids owns a uh, huge um, hotel chain now. So he just got away from it. So if you want to start dealing drugs, go to Burmese, get in the Shine State, and you're going to be fine. I'm surprised he didn't even die of, like, I mean, my Drug dad stuff. died of a heart attack when he was 62. How did this motherfucker not die of a heart attack when he was 62? Or, like, a venomous snake or... Right, an asp. Yeah. Or a <laughs> guy. Yeah, or one of his guys, or nothing. Or one of the guys who was shooting him out of an airplane. Not shooting him yeah. from an airplane, but shooting Getting bombed from, from an, airplane. an airplane. Yeah, multiple times from helicopters. This guy did it. So, I mean, that's Kun Saw. Legendary drug dealer. Real grade A piece of shit. Hard to kill. And his family, he, he got to keep all his money. Impossible, one might say. Impossible to kill. Only time killed him. And he got to keep all of his money. All of his kids are now high-ranking people in the Myanmar government. Five billion. And that's him. Well, Laura, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having Appreciate me. Appreciate it. Let's eat some beef. Let's, Let's eat get some out beef. Of here and eat some beef.